well, this is week two of our practices series. Um, and uh, I just want to say thank you, Megan, for that incredible, for stealing half of my message. I appreciate that uh, as she recapped what we talked about uh, last week. But uh, for those of you who weren't here, let me just fill you in uh, on where we were and where we're going to be going over these next few weeks. Uh, really birthed out of Romans 12, uh, verse 1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now listen to verse two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Paul who's the author of this scripture, is telling us that there's a pattern of life. There's a pattern that we live through. There's a pattern of thought. There's a pattern of decision-making. There's a pattern of this world, and it does not line up with the pattern of life and thought in the kingdom of heaven that as followers of Jesus we are to live from. And our aim over the next few weeks is to walk through what is commonly known as the spiritual disciplines or the spiritual practices that were birthed out of the life of Jesus and to learn from the things that he did and how he lived so that we live a life that doesn't just believe in God, but we live a life that's been transformed because we walk with God. Are you with me? I woke up this morning with an expectation that the first service was going to be the rowdiest service. Is your expectation there with me? Was I alone in that? And I believe that this can be the greatest service that we have today. Uh, and so let me just say that line again, and then you can, I'll give you another opportunity to see if I expected the right thing, so that we don't have to live a life just believing in God, but we can live a life being transformed because we are walking with him. Amen. Uh, look, here's the thing. How many of you want to see something change in your life, right? It might be something physical. It might be something emotional. You might want to start a habit, break a habit, right? We all, especially around January, get this longing within us that this will be the year where something that we want to change will actually change in our lives. But what we had talked about last week is if we want to see change in us, we have to change some things in us. If we actually want to see some things transform in our lives, then we have to do things differently than how we have been doing them. And hear me, the spiritual practices alive in us will lead to transformation in us. And last week was all about the perspective-shifting practice of worship and declaration. And, and I just hope that you joined in some way into our practice of this practice with starting and starting your day and refreshing your mind in the middle of the day and ending your day with reading through the list of declarations of who God is and who you 
are. Now, I didn't bat a thousand. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I missed a couple of evenings and a few lunches. But if you were a part of it, did you feel how it shifted your perspective and how you interacted with your day? I know that I did. I've done this before, and it was a, I was reawakening this practice in my life. And as I would start my day declaring who God is and who he's called me to be, I found myself throughout the day referencing those truths versus referencing my fear, versus referencing my anxiety. And if you forgot or you missed or you just didn't do it, uh, let me encourage you, start this week. You can find that list on our resource page and on, on our website um, because you will be transformed by it. Matthew 6, verse 31, Jesus says this, don't worry saying, what will I eat? What will I drink or what will I wear? For pagans run after these things, meaning those are the practices of the world. That, that's, that's, that's how the world tells you you should think and, and what you should fear. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. And each day has trouble of its own. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And what we're going to be journeying through today as a people to learn how to not conform to the patterns of this world, but be people who seek first the kingdom of righteousness is that we want to learn the practice of Bible study and meditation. The practice of Bible study and meditation. Uh, on June 29th, 2007, the world changed. June 29th, 2007, most historians will say, will be marked in history as maybe one of or in comparison with some of the most dramatic shifts in culture in our country and really our world. June 29th, 2007, Steve Jobs released the iPhone into the world. And on that day, with that introduction of this powerful tool, it changed how we interact with one another. It changed how we got information. It changed how we wait in lines at grocery stores. It changed how we communicate with one another. It changed how we parent our kids. It had a cultural shifting implication in its introduction. Fast forward to today, the average American adult will check their phone 58 times a day, leading to an average phone screen time of three hours and 43 minutes a day. That's an average, so that means that some people are higher than that and, and, and some people are lower. And I know that you're all judging Wow, man, who are those people? You can actually look at your screen time on your phone and discourage yourself. I've done that. I did that this week, and I was like, dude, I'm not that stat. What you talking about, my phone? Three hours? And I looked like three hours and 15 minutes. I'm like, what am I doing? Right? There's this, there's this magnetic draw to our 
phones. Now, I want you to hear me. I don't think, this is not a technology is evil sermon. All right, in Austin, Texas, fastest way to kill your church, say technology is, is evil. <laughs> Our whole freaking economy is built on these things, okay? So, like, I'm not saying that technology is evil. There, there's been a ton of good that has come from the technology of this phone. It's not all bad, right? Like, there's some amazing things. Like, my ability to stay so connected with my family, it's crazy, Right? I, I, can, I can call my parents and I can have them, who they live in Houston, they can be a part of something and watch my kids do something. That's amazing, right? Like we, we can be so connected and probably as having teenagers, I can actually see where my kids are actually going. <laughs> Heck yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it, there, there's a lot of good things that have come from this. It, it has amazing potential, but I want you to also know that built into what makes this an amazing tool, our ability to be connected, our ability to document and remember things unlike ever before in history, built into this device that can be used for so much good is also a temptation to fill our minds, not with what Philippians 4.8 tells us to. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Some versions literally say meditate on such things. And now our hands direct access to all things at all times, most of which are what is wrong, what is broken, what is not pure, and what is not lovely, and whatever is not admirable. And the impact of what we are meditating on of three hours a day is affecting what we do, how we think, and definitely how we feel. I'm sure you've seen the numbers and uh, maybe you feel like you're within this statistic. The CDC is saying that the amount of people that are dealing with anxiety and depression has gone from 36% to 42% this year. But here's the one that slapped me in the face. The amount of people that are dealing with depression globally from 1990 to 2017 has doubled. Nearly 50% of an increase of people who are dealing with or living through depression and anxiety. And, and, and I, am I saying that there's a correlation with our screen time and, and the meditation of our heart and our mental health? No, I'm not saying that. Science is saying that. Hear me, our screen is not killing us. But what we put on our screen is. You hearing what I'm saying? 
What, what we're putting on our screen is killing us. Maybe unlike any other time in history, there's a war for our attention. And there's an, there's, there's an old saying that I love. It says, what consumes your mind will control your life. That's a good one. That's a note-take one. If you're a note-taker, you know how I feel about you. You're going to see Jesus more clearly in heaven. So write that down, that what consumes your mind will control your life. And now when Paul wrote Philippians 4, 8, he did not have the smartphone in mind. But what he did know is that he understood that what we put before us will in turn consume us. There's a link with our attention and what we are becoming. And Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I feel that Jesus was speaking to us today in our culture in 2022 because there are so many of us that say that we believe in him. But what we are putting in us and what is consuming us couldn't be further from what he has for us. Again, we can learn so much about the power of the practices in our lives from looking at the Psalms. And in Psalms 19, verse 14, it says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, I want you to take a deep breath because some of you are freaked out that we're using the word meditation. All right, now here's the thing. I want to say this. Let me define it for us. Not all meditation is good meditation. Let me just say that, all right? Let me help you see the difference. Eastern meditation is the act of trying to clear your mind. The spiritual practice of meditation is the act of filling your mind. It's the same word, completely different ideas. So when we're talking about meditation, what we're saying is we want to be those who are filled. We want to fill our minds with who God is and what the Bible says. We, we, we want to have the spiritual practice of meditation, and that means we want to have the practice of filling our minds with truth. We want the word of God to penetrate who we are and therefore become a part of who we are. Now, now hear me, all meditation is Bible study, but not all Bible study is meditation. Y'all get that? All, all meditation is Bible study, but not all Bible study is meditation. Um, meditation is, is the practice of internalizing what the Bible is saying of allowing it to marinate within our hearts, to go deep within us. It's studying the Bible to get it in you. It's camping on a passage or a couple of passages with space and time for the living God that is sharper than a double-edged sword to cut through the noise of our soul and our culture that we're living in so that we can allow the truth of who God is to become a foundation for how we 
live. There's a lot of ways to practice this practice. But for me in college, I, I wrote some scriptures on some note cards and I kept them in my back pocket. And when boredom hit me, this was pre-cell phone, pre, can you believe that? I didn't have a cell phone in college. Isn't that crazy? I didn't even have a personal computer. Isn't that amazing? Wow, those were the days, right? And, but so I, had, I, I experienced something that some of you have never felt, which is being bored, okay? It's a lost art in our culture is boredom, you know? Like we, we shut screens off in our house all the time. My kids are like, I'm bored. I'm like, good. That's a muscle. You need to learn how to use that thing, man, because there's going to be some great things that come out of boredom in your life. And so I'd whip these, note, these little note cards out, and I would just read the scripture. I'd just read the Bible verse. That's what I did. And, and when, when I started feeling anxious or insecure, I'd whoop them out. I used to call them my Chinese stars. You know, it's like if the, if the word of God is a sword, then these are my Chinese stars, you know. I was a dork, okay. Like just... I'm going to tell you how it is. And, and, and so I'd whip these little Chinese stars out. And you know what began to happen is I was meditating on them. I was giving my, my, myself space and time to allow those scriptures to get in me. They weren't just words on a page. I was giving them time to marinate in my soul. I began to hear them come out of me. And so I would be praying, and then all of a sudden I would start praying the word of God. And the first time that it happened, I was like, whoa, I know the Bible. I'm for real, because I had often grown up be like, I don't know the Bible. Do you feel like you don't know the Bible? Like, you know, you talk to somebody and you're like, dang, I want to know the Bible like you. And, and I thought it was like some mystery. And I'm like, I figured it out. Chinese stars, man. Just, right, it, it's, it's space and time. And, and as I began to meditate on it, the Bible then began to get in me, and what consumes you will control you. And so the word of God began to shape how I spoke to people, how I prayed, how I invested in those who were around me, and it definitely had an impact on how I was making decisions when they would come at me. Because it was, it was now a part of me. The word had become a part of me. I had internalized it. I, I, I have to say, I, I think it's important, too, to realize that, that depending on how you're made will determine much about how these practice, practices actually begin to live in your life. For me... I, I like to have a place for things. Or the, is there anybody else in the house that, that, that feels like everything has a place? And if it's not in the place that you put it, then it's in the wrong place, right? This can cause a bit of conflict in marriage if you're married. If you have a spouse like I do who seems to think that the world is the place for anything and everything, and I have a specific place Four things. I don't lose my keys. Why? Because Brandon gave me a tile. And so I can, no, I'm joking. He did give me a tile because I do lose my keys because if I don't put them in the right place, I have no idea where I put them. Right? And, and so when it comes to this idea of being someone who meditates on the word of God, I have a place that I go in my house. I have a desk that sits in my office that faces out a window because I think God created a beautiful planet and I want to see it 
and I, and I will sit and I will open my Bible and I'll read, like, for instance, Psalms 23, and I'll, it'll say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And instead of trying to hurry through that passage to check off the box, right? Because the practices are not about the mechanics of what we're doing, but the purpose of why we're doing them. I, I'm not just trying to be like, oh, yo, I finished my Bible reading. I'm, I want to sit and go, God, you're my shepherd. You're my shepherd. That means you're going to lead me today. You're going to guide me. You're going to protect me. You're the shepherd of my kids. You're going to guide and protect them. And, and I'm giving myself space to allow the truth of the word of God to go from words on a page to penetrating my soul. It's the power of meditating on the scripture. Now, here's the thing. This is, a, this is a practice, which means that the more we practice it, the better we'll get at it. I don't know if you felt the war for your attention doing the declarations. I felt it around two-thirds of the way through the list. My mind started craving something else. And it, it took discipline, the spiritual discipline, to stay focused on what I was reading and declaring because there's a war for my attention. And so this practice you, you need to be realistic about it. I, my goal is like, I want to sit for 30 seconds and let a scripture marinate on me. You might be like, oh, dude, that's such a low goal. Try it. <laughs> Try it. 30 seconds, undistracted, unscreened, unclick, sit and think about the Lord being your shepherd. And my goal is that I can go from 30 seconds to a minute to two minutes to five minutes as the practice of meditation on the word of God as I get better at the practice, as, as I get better at this discipline. There's a phrase that was bounced around in early Christendom for centuries that was called holy leisure. When I read this, I was like, I love that. Holy leisure. And what it was, it was the practice of orienting the pace of your life. Not around what you need to get done or the hustle of the culture around you. But orienting your life around enjoying God and enjoying the life that he's called you to. Richard Foster, who authored the book Celebration of Discipline, where we stole most of everything we're going to be saying over the next couple of weeks. And so if you want to get ahead, you can just read that book. He says that hurry is the enemy of depth. Dallas Willard, who is actually the man who invested in and discipled Richard Foster, this incredible teacher, thinker, and theologian, theologian said this, that you have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Some of you are like, oh, I thought that that was what that new guy, John Mark Comer, titled his book. No, he stole it from Dallas Willard. Hear me. There is a pace of our souls and there's a pace of our culture. 
There's a pattern of the world and there's a way of heaven. There's a pace of our souls and a pace of culture. There's a pattern of the world and there's a way of heaven. And we need to learn the pace of our soul and realize that it does not conform to the pattern of the world. We have to sit, be still, and feel the wind on our face. Yesterday, I would say if God was asking me, there was too much wind to feel on my face. I was like, I'm aware, I'm aware of the wind. No, it's like we need to stop. My, my son, Kevin, loves sunsets, and his obsession with sunsets has shown me that I have gotten so hurried in my approach of life that I have forgotten to enjoy the painting in the sky from heaven every day. And he will say, Dad, stop the car. Let me take a picture. And oftentimes, I'll be like, shut up. We got to get to practice. We have to get to this. We have to go here. And and all along, he was actually living out of the pace of his soul, saying, that's beautiful. That does something to me. And it's my opportunity as a parent to say, that's worship coming out of you. That's not just you seeing, wow, isn't that some pretty colors? God made that for you to stop and go, God is here and he's good and he cares about everything so much so that he made a way for my day to end under the canopy of beauty. That we, we have to eliminate this idea of hurry. We have to feel the wind and watch sunsets and listen to birds because there's a pace of our soul. And what meditating on the word of God does is it slows your heart down. It slows you down. It slows the hurry of your life down. It slows the internal hurry. Some of you feel it. You feel rushed even right now, and you're just sitting here, but you're just like, whoo, you've checked your phone three times and your calendar, and you know what you have going on this afternoon, but your soul is so sped up that we're rushing past moments to allow our life to be consumed and transformed by the power of who God is because we're just rushing through life when there's a pace of heaven which says stop and dwell on and internalize who I am. Meditation is internalizing the word of God. It's getting it in. It's hiding it in our hearts. It's hiding it in our hearts. Hearts. And, but I want you to understand that, that meditation is Bible study, right? But, but not all Bible study is meditation. And, and we have to meditate on the Word of God. But that's not the only way that we study the Word of God. I was actually thinking about this. Is that isn't it interesting in what's happened in culture that we have to preach about being a people that study the Word of God? This used to just be built into the equation of life with God, that you would be a person that studies the word of God. And now we have a biblically illiterate church that is buying the theology of culture because they don't have a foundation on the theology of who God is. 
And so the book that they're reading, the screen that they're meditating, is feeding them twisted truths, which is changing their belief system because we don't read the Bible anymore. We don't study the Bible. We listen to podcasts on people's thoughts about the Bible versus allowing the Bible to be our guide. I love podcasts. I love books. But the Bible has to be where I go for understanding. And so all meditation is Bible study, but not all, all Bible study is not meditation. What I mean by that is there's a theological term for the analytical study of the Bible so that we can rightly interpret what it says in its exegesis. And ideally, our exegesis, our study of the Bible involves us looking at a passage of Scripture and saying, what is it saying? Why was it said? And what is it saying to me? It's diving deeper into the passage. And if you were here with us in October, we did a series called Ideology. And within that, we talked about how, as a church, we want to build good theology, meaning our study and understanding of God and his plans for mankind and the church. And, and, and we need to carry into our exegesis of Scripture or our study of the Word of God good theological practice. And what I mean by that is that we don't build our theology on one Scripture. We build our theology on the meta narrative of Scripture. The Bible can become confusing when we pull isolated passages out of it and try to build a belief system from it. But the Bible becomes crystal clear when you look at it as one story and not a series of stories. That God is saying one thing to the people of God from the beginning of time until his return, from Genesis to Revelation. And so one scripture that can feel weird standing alone finds a safe place of clarity in the grand big story of what God is saying. Building good theology is having an understanding of the breadth of scripture, not just being able to quote random scriptures. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God is telling one story. The Bible is not filled with a bunch of different stories. And from Genesis to Revelation, the story is of a loving God who will stop at nothing to see all people come to a knowledge of who he is and freed from the sin that is killing them and destroying who he has created them to be. That is the power of the meta narrative of scripture is that the Bible is a rescue mission story of a loving God rescuing a people from themselves. And this just builds our case to be a people that study the Bible. We have to dwell on the word of God, yes. But we have to dig deep into the word of God. So how do we do that? 
How do we do that? I remember in college, I wanted to become more of a person who knew the word, and it was just intimidating. It was an intimidating thought. What do I do? I don't have time to, to like take a, the, you know, a theology course or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, like what, how am I supposed to do it? Here are some simple Bible study and meditation practices that you can start this week. The amount of Bible study uh, tools are endless, I mean, there are a million, maybe a billion resources online for how you can study the Bible and people's thoughts on Scripture and, and theologians who have spent their entire life dwelling on and, and digging into one chapter in the Bible. And they wrote like 12 books on that one chapter. You, you can go as deep as you want. But if, to get started, here are some simple practices that we can implement in our life. You can do what's called a word study. Everybody say word study. We do a word study. This is what it sounds like. You're going to study a word. Like for me, let me just take you into my life. I need to get better at patience. Okay? Like I'm not good at it. It's, I'm patient with you, I'm, and I use it all up on y'all. And then when I get home, I'm just a terror. Okay? Like <laughs> my kids are just being kids. I'm like, shh. You know, like driving home, we, we, Moses, Moses, our worship leader, Moses is backstage right now, but his birthday was yesterday, so we had a little party for him, and my kids were just like, you know, there's like the combination with like park and cake that just you put it together, and that ride home is like probably what hell is going to be like. You know, just like yelling and screaming and throwing and laughing. And you're like, I can't be too mad at you because you're enjoying one another. But the way you're enjoying one another makes me not enjoy you. You know what I mean? Like, can we just be honest at church <laughs> about preteens? <laughs> All right? And I'm just, I'm correcting things that aren't even happening, right? Because I just don't have any patience. I want silence. And so I'm like, stop it. And my kids in confusion are like, stop what? Having fun, you know, like one of, my, one of my sons was like, wait, we can't laugh? I was like, no, dude, no. You can't laugh. Laughing is forbidden in the Griffin house, right? I need patience. So how I can do a word study is I can look up every scripture where patience is used in the Bible. And I can write them out, type them out. I can cut and paste them on one document. And, and I can then begin to read those passages and meditate on all of those passages. And as I look at the breadth of how patience is, is shown to us throughout the Bible, my understanding of patience is going to grow in my spirit. I can also then look at the original languages, the words that were used in the Greek and the Hebrew for that word patience, and I can get even a bigger understanding of what God was saying when he was talking about patience in the Bible and how it should come out of my life as a believer. And that's doing a word study. You choose a word and you dig into that word. You could do a character study. You could be like, man, I want to learn about King David, or I want to learn about the Apostle Paul. And you can read about his life. You can read every book in the Bible that they are a part of, or that they wrote, or is about them. And you can lean into the type of person that they were, their life with God, and, and that can do something in your life. 
So you can do a book study. I'm a huge fan of this because I think what we need right now in culture is people that read a lot of the Bible and not just grab a scripture. And so you can say, like, I'm going to study the book of Romans. And so then you can, you can read the entire book of Romans. Just read it over and over and over again and allow the grand story of the book of Romans to get just as loud in your soul as specifically a chapter in Romans. And then you can read about when the book was written and what was happening when the book was written and why the author wrote it and what was going on in culture and what were the things that he was addressing and allows the word of God to get bigger. And here's one that's gotten lost, but memorizing scripture. We can memorize scripture and we can, we can use that discipline. So like, I'm going to memorize Psalm 23 so that I can then just recite it. I can just Say it. And look, the bookstore and the internet is filled with tons of guided Bible study tools that marry all of these different things in different ways that, that, that you, can, you can grab. But, but I, I want us to end with practicing one of these practices. Can we do that together? Because remember, like every, I'm going to sit down, this is my desk in my office. So are you there with me? Are you in my office with me now? And you look beautiful. And, and there, there, there's a a practice that I personally love with Bible study that was actually started in the sixth century. I don't know about you, but I'm on this kick right now of like leaning back on on the history of the church and, and things that have been done for thousands of years to draw people closer to the person of God. That is cool. And this practice, uh, this way of studying the Bible and, and, and meditation uh, is, is known as Lextito Divino. And it, it was actually created by this dude named Benedict, uh, Benedict of Nursea. 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 I don't know. A Benedict of something. I don't know what a Benedict is, but I kind of want to be one. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can call me Benedict J.D. Unless it's bad, then don't call me that if you know what it means. But this is what he said in, in his writing to support this way of Bible study and meditation. He said this, that we are to be a people that listen to the word of God with the ear of our heart. That we need to listen to the word of God with the ear of our heart. Heart. So instead of me just telling you about it, we're going to end our time together with all doing it. Okay? So, so, so this is how it works. First, we're going to read the passage. We're going to read the passage. We're actually going to use Psalm 23 today, and we're going to read through it. And as I read it to us, I want you to listen carefully to what the Scripture is saying don't allow your familiarity with it to blind you from the power in it. Listen to what it's saying. And as we're reading, we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to guide us and to highlight to us any passages of Scripture as we're reading through it. So you might feel your heart drawn to a specific part of the passage. I want you to pay Attention to that. Psalms 23 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And now step two is we are going to meditate on the part of the passage that was highlighted to you or you felt jumped at you. For me, it was that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what we're going to do is we're going to reflect on what this means. I want you just right now, whatever jumped out in you, just close your eyes and begin to reflect on what it means means. It's commonly known as chewing on the scripture. You might want to just repeat it to yourself. And, and what we're doing is we're hiding it deeper and deeper in our hearts. And now third, we're going to pray. And I, I love allowing the language of the Bible to fill my prayers. And so what I want you to do now is pay attention to how this passage of Scripture is leading your heart into intercession. Maybe for someone that you know, maybe for your family, maybe for yourself. Maybe this passage has revealed to you some sin in your life, some way that you've tried to be in control instead of allowing God to be your shepherd. And you need to repent and ask God to forgive you. But now we're going to begin to pray that scripture back to the Lord and pay attention to what and who he is bringing up as we are doing it. So now I just want you to begin to pray just in your heart, just however the Lord is leading you, begin to pray that scripture back to him and then begin to pray for the people or the circumstances that God is revealing to you. finally we contemplate what that means is that we are going to think about who God is in light of what we have just read this is where we rest this is where we allow the word of God to refresh us this is where we become aware of his presence to sit quietly think about who he is in, in light of what you have just read and what you've just prayed and what you've just meditated on. Remember the goal 
of any of the practices. It's not about the mechanics. It's not about what we just did. It's about the purpose of what we just did. And that's exactly what the purpose of the Lexio Divina is as well, is that we would orient our heart and our mind towards drawing close to him. And here's my challenge for us this week. You know, every week throughout this series, we're gonna have a challenge, something we can do. My challenge for you this week is that you do Alexio Divina every morning with a chapter from the book of Psalms. You pick, it could be the same chapter, it could be seven different chapters, you pick it, but I, I want you to do it. And what we've done is on our resource page of our website, we, we have a guide for you as well as a, a deeper dive into the history of and the purpose of studying the Word of God this way from our friends at Soul Shepherding, where I learned so much of this practice myself. And if you would, I want you to stand with me. We're, we're, I, I want to pray for us as we end today because we, we want to be a people that are consumed with who Jesus is because what consumes us will then control us. And so let us meditate on whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. Let's pray together. God, I pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be pleasing to you. God, I pray that we would take steps this week to slow down in holy leisure and create space to see you in all that we do. God, I pray that we would start to take steps to study and meditate on your word so it moves from words on a page to living in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.